coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 56 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. I'm joined this week by my co-hosts, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. And guys, we celebrated our one-year podcast anniversary this week, and uh, can you believe it that we've made it this far? I can believe it, because uh, I always believed in us from the very beginning, and by very beginning, I mean episode eight when I came on. If you listen to episodes one through seven, uh, my dulcet tones are not uh, on the soundtrack there, but uh, but I am happy to be a part of it. Happy birthday to both of you guys who did found this podcast. Austin, it's sort of your baby. Um, if you look around at iTunes, there's a lot of podcasts that, uh, that peter out well before the year mark, and not only are we going strong, but we're getting some of the best guests that we've ever had. And I think putting out a better show than we've ever put out uh, continuously. So uh, congratulations to us. Congratulations to you, Austin. And uh, and really for the product that we put out. Uh, I could not be more proud of us. Yeah, and I think a large part of that has to do with the great guests that we have. And on this week's show, that's no exception. We have Jim Grove, the head football coach at Baylor University. And uh, if you like the Rockets, the former clutch mascot. Uh, but Jeremy, you were here from the start. I mean, what has the last year been like for you? Oh, it's been crazy. I mean, I, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed doing this uh, all year with you guys. Um, certainly loved having Kevin on and believe he brings a lot to the podcast. Uh, he snickers, but I'm being serious. Um, no, the, and the, the guests we've had are just incredible. I never thought I'd get to talk to some of the people that we've talked to on the podcast, getting to ask them questions that, you know, most people just wouldn't get to ask, uh, you know, where this coach Patterson, we have Jim Grobe. Um, and just in any number of guests we've had over the past year, they've just been fantastic. So uh, one year uh, taking the diapers off, but uh, finally, um, but yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be excited to keep doing it with you guys. Well, and it's important to note with these guests, uh, we are fortunate. To talk, they are also fortunate to talk to us. I mean, we're doing a lot for them too. So it's, it's a two-way street there and, uh, and they should be as proud to be on the show as we are proud to have them. And I think that many of them are. Again, Kevin showing that uh, his lack of confidence is definitely uh, an issue. But uh, in other news this week, uh, the Olympics, full first week, great competition. Michael Phelps, dominant. Simone Biles, dominant. Simone Manuel, also from Houston, Mm -hmm. dominant. Uh, Team USA in general, dominant. Uh, What was the reaction that you guys had from watching the first week of the games, whether it was the U.S. women's national team uh, bowing out before the medal rounds or uh, U.S. men's basketball team winning, but still struggling a little bit. What were the big storylines and interests that you followed? Uh, obviously, basketball is my sport of choice. You know, it's a sport I follow most closely. So when it comes to international competition, I actually, I, I'm weird. I love international basketball. I love watching these teams compete, particularly because the opposing teams, if you look at it from America's point of view, have a lot more experience in terms of playing together, coming up together through a system, whereas we sort of throw together the best guys that are available and are willing to go to the Olympics in any given year. And uh, and so there's, there's kind of that imbalance, and you're seeing that start to play out. I mean, Australia really really played America hard, and America didn't have the kind of uh, dead-eye shooters that I think you want surrounding some of these really talented players. So there's some issues with the roster. Um, other teams are beginning to play up to the level of the American competition. I think it's better for the sport. I mean, I think it's more exciting for me personally, even as a fan of U.S. basketball, when other teams have a chance to win. Like, you I, you texted me. We were texting throughout that USA-Australia game. I was locked into that. That was exciting uh, basketball. Whereas, you know, when they're playing China, blown out by 50, 60 points, I'm not necessarily going to watch uh, as intently or for as long. So it's it's great for the sport. That's what I follow most closely. Um, I, I like it when the U.S. is not 
dominant when there is a chance that they may not come out on top. And that makes, I mean, that's really what sports is all about. I don't like watching dominance, I like watching competition. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about having those NBA athletes that we first saw, you know, in Barcelona and the 1992 Dream Team is that it helped grow the sport internationally. And that's why we have so many international stars in the NBA right now. And, uh, you know, the NBA is trying to expand into different markets, China being one of them. Uh, so we've seen a lot of growth of the sport globally, and that, that is kind of fun to see. But, uh, Jeremy, what were some of the key storylines and uh, events or medals that kind of piqued your interest? You know, uh, the one sport in the Summer Olympics that I look forward to uh, most watching is swimming. And uh, you cannot talk about swimming, swimming without talking about Michael Phelps. I mean, the guy has 23 gold medals, 29 medals overall. That's more than a lot of countries combined. Yeah, in fact, if you if Michael Phelps was his own country, he would rank ninth all time in terms of Olympic medals, which is absurd. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the guy the guy is a machine. Um, I'm curious, you know, because I've been watching him since Athens. I'm curious if he decides to come back one more time because a lot of people thought he was done after London and that was it. But um, as you were noting uh, a little earlier in our uh, pre-show discussion, he actually looked like he was enjoying this games and looked like maybe uh, he was getting something out of it uh, personally, you know, that maybe this is his last one, but who knows? I'd like to see him come back. Uh, he, of course, he'd be 35 then, but certainly I, with his athletic ability being what it is, I don't think that uh, he would have any problem winning medals. I could not disagree more uh, with all love of my heart. One thing I love to see that doesn't happen enough is when an athlete knows when to go out. So you look at like Peyton Manning or like Michael Jordan, you know, these greats that come back and granted Super Bowl, but Peyton did not look like himself and Michael Jordan playing with the Wizards. We all kind of just forget that that even happened for the most part. I would love to see Michael Phelps uh, take that plunge that a lot of athletes are not able to and say, I am going to hang it up and go out absolutely on top. And we all remember him that way. We don't have to suffer through a 2020 Olympics where Michael Phelps is not the Michael Phelps that we grew up with, that we idolize and that we remember. Yeah, I, w I would love to see him compete again just because <laughs> he looks like he has so much athleticism left in him. I just don't know that he wants to go through that training regimen. And I think that if he wanted to compete, he could probably narrow down his events, you know, maybe swim in, you know, one or two events, you know, potentially medal in those. But uh, the Michael Phelps, one of the things that has made him so great is the fact that he swims six events uh, each Olympics, if not more. And, and to me, that he is able to meddle in all of those is just absurd. If you'll recall a few episodes ago, we spoke with Nicole Auerbach from USA Today, and she said that uh, one person that would become the face of potentially the Olympics would be Katie Ledecky. And she was flat out dominant. She won the 200, the 400, and the 800 meter freestyle. And in that 800 meter freestyle, I don't know if you guys watched that on Friday night, she won by 11 seconds. She smashed her own world record. And uh, it was almost like she was lapping people in the pool. And I think she probably could have gone faster, but uh, she was just so much fun to watch. Uh, there was a, a medal relay, I, I believe, on uh, Thursday night in which uh, she got into the pool probably about a uh, half second or a second behind, ended up winning by nearly two seconds. I mean, she is just a freak of nature in the pool, and it's just amazing to see what she can do at the age of 19. So I think the baton has sort of been passed from Michael Phelps to Katie Ledecky when it comes to USA Swimming. And also, you can't forget about Simone Manuel, who won uh, four medals in uh, the Rio game. She won two gold uh, and two silver, I believe. And uh, she hails from Sugarland, Texas. So if your name is Simone and you are from the state of Texas or the city of Houston, you're going to do well at the Olympics. Just look at no further than Simone 
Biles, who won the all-around gold medal in the uh, gymnastics competition and is aiming to win potentially three more this week. I feel like you were dangerously close to plagiarizing a popular tweet that was going around. If your name is Simone and you're from Houston, there's a good chance you won a gold medal last night. Did I'm, you see that tweet? I'm pretty sure I actually texted you guys that before <laughs> okay. that tweet went out. So <laughs> I, I think that, you know, it was a pretty obvious take to have. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so episode 54, Nicole Arbach, uh, who's there in Rio, of course, reporting. I'm sure that if you're a fan of the Olympics, you were following her coverage, but uh, she was prophetic. And as much as I am almost entirely wrong in every prediction I make, she was almost entirely right in every prediction that she made. So you can kind of go back and listen to that and uh, and just be amazed at her foresight. Obviously, she spends a lot of time with the swimming team, and she kind of saw this coming, but there's no question that Ledecky's a superstar. I love Simone Manuel's uh, reactions uh, when she wins. It's just that's kind of what really gets to me, is it Sports is great. Winning is great. But it's the it's the emotion that real human beings have in these moments that kind of touches me and gets to me. And just watching her uh, her surprise and joy was it was really moving to me. Yeah, uh, and let's not forget. I, I'm as a Houstonian, I'm feeling a lot of pride right now uh, watching Simone Biles uh, and Simone Manuel. Um, just it, it's incredible watching uh, people from the Houston area go and medal uh, in the Olympics like that. Uh, as a Houstonian, sometimes I feel like I don't have a lot to be proud of with regard to sports. Uh, but uh, these 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 women have certainly brought it home for me. Yeah, absolutely. And in other news, uh, Ryan Lochte Sunday morning. Did you guys hear about that? Did I hear it? No, I did not hear about it. what's, up, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, so Ryan Lochte apparently was at a after party on Saturday night, I guess, with uh, some of his friends from uh, Brazil, uh, Brazilian swimmers. And I believe it was at like a, a rave, uh, Club France, if you will, celebrating someone's birthday. And uh, allegedly, he was robbed at gunpoint, had his wallet stolen. And I guess his mom confirmed the story to USA Today. Uh, Brazilian swimmer spokesperson confirmed the story. Yet the International Olympic Committee denied it. What's going on here? Well, this goes back to what I've always said, uh, and I'm right in line with the NRA on this. We need to arm our Olympic athletes at all times. There really should never be a moment of the day, whether they're in the pool, you know, on the uneven <laughs> bars, uh, where they are not carrying some sort of uh, small arm to protect themselves. So that's uh, this is I feel totally vindicated. Would by that this. work with aerodynamics? Uh, you know, I haven't looked into the physics of it necessarily, but I can say that uh, certainly this is an absolute necessity for their own protection. Actually, I would have to agree with Kevin on this one. Um, yeah, but if you're going, if you're looking at what's happening outside that giant enclosure that they've built for the Olympics, it is a little scary. Uh, police have had a lot of shootouts. There have been uh, other events that the IOC has sort of tried to sweep under the rug. Uh, we were talking about uh, some gunfire earlier that was labeled as rock throwing, but it was definitely gunfire. So, uh, yeah, Rio Rio's kind of a kind of a scary place outside of the Olympic enclosure, but, um, yeah, kind of crazy. The good news is that these things are happening. We're kind of joking about them, of course. I do not support arming anyone, particularly not Olympic athletes that are competing at the highest levels, but it has not derailed the competition. It has been a very, um, I would say, watchable Olympics, or at least followable. I haven't watched every moment of it. I've watched relatively little of it, mostly the basketball and the swimming, but uh, but certainly people are talking about it, and it seems to have gone off as a success so far at this point in the process. People are talking about it. People are engaged with it. And I think the U.S. dominance has a lot to do with that, but uh, but the the issues, including the green pool with the hydrogen peroxide, you guys right. about that? Yeah, yeah apparently the green they, monster. <laughs> you don't dump hydrogen peroxide into the pool if you already have chlorine in it, but I guess they didn't know that somehow it was a miscommunication, so this is green pool that, quote, smells like farts. You know? Yeah, actually there was a quote uh, from, I guess, a spokesperson in Brazil saying that chemistry is quote, an inexact science. <laughs> no, I no, saw no, that. Yeah, it is an exact yeah, science. Yeah, one of the most exact sciences. But... <laughs> But anyway, so it's, it has not, um, we were all had these fears, and certainly uh, they were valid fears, and these things have happened. Ryan Lochte, poor guy, got robbed. Uh, other people have been robbed, laptops, set fires, things like that. But 
it has not been an overwhelming disaster. It certainly hasn't been a murder of a, a high-ranking Olympic person or anybody that's there with thank the FCC. Goodness. Yeah, thank goodness, right? So it's not as bad as it could have been. I think it's a low bar. Well, you know, I, I'm still crossing my fingers, though. We'll see. But it has it has not derailed the competition, which is ultimately uh, the most important thing, besides people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so this next week, obviously, swimming in the books, we'll have track and field as the main event and uh, basketball getting into the medal round. So a lot of excitement to go in the second week of the Rio 2016 Olympic Games. But uh, in terms of excitement, here in Houston, there is a lot of excitement around We Desserts. Oh, yeah. I am always excited about We Desserts. Uh, a lot of people are excited along with me. I've noticed that the past few times I've been in there, it has been hopping. So, uh, you know, it's a good time to get in there and uh, let them see your face. Go by, get some... Uh, there's Okay, so there's a lot of things you can get there. We've talked about cakes. We've talked about beignets, which are delicious. But are you familiar with the French macaron? The macaron? Yeah, my French, French macaron. I think it's how you pronounce it. It's French. In American, I say uh, the, the macaron. Uh, which is actually not a valid pronunciation of it at all, is M-A-C-A-R-O-N. But, uh, you know, there's the hipsters eat them. Have you, have you seen it? They love them. They go seek them out around the city like Pokemon. Do you really comparing desserts to Pokemon? Well, I'm comparing the act of finding a good dessert to the act of finding a rare Pokemon. And if you want to find the rarest of most delicious desserts, the French Rencourons at We Desserts at 3411 Kirby, they have a 12 for 12 deal. If you get 12 or more in store, they're a dollar each, which if you eat macaroons anywhere, you understand that is a... a That's a steal. It's a steal. You might as well be stealing them from them. Don't. Don't steal them from them. Give them the $12. But it is as though you are stealing them from them, and they are delicious. And there's like, I don't know, 150 different flavors or something. That's a slight exaggeration. There's a lot of different flavors. You should go in, maybe even ask them, like, hey, if I have something in mind, can you make a special flavor for me? They'll be happy to have that conversation with you, even if what I just promised you is impossible. <laughs> so make sure to go check out We Desserts at 3411 Kirby here in Houston. And uh, all listeners of the Weekly Brew Podcast get 10% off. Just tell Penny and Jen that we sent you by, and they'll give you that discount. But, but in- you do not get 10% off the 12 for 12 deal because that is already as though you're stealing them. So you cannot apply the 10%. But anything else in the store, if you see something else that catches your fancy 10% off, absolutely tell them the guys the Weekly Brew sent you by. Or if you like something else other than macaroons, that applies. Yeah, so definitely check them out. 3411, tell Penny and Jen that uh, the Weekly Brew sent you by. But also, we want to make sure that you follow us on social media. You can just follow, you can just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We post great content there each week. Also, you can follow our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, guys, we have uh, a fun episode. Uh, you know, I know that we're all getting excited for this start of college football season and I actually had the chance to go to Waco on Saturday uh, to go speak with head coach Jim Grobe after their Saturday scrimmage at McLean Stadium. Uh, Very exciting to talk about uh, the upcoming season for the Bears and we'll have that audio here for you shortly and uh, Kevin you spoke with uh, Clutch the mascot. Yeah Robert Bodwin who's uh, a great guy. Uh, We all of us as Rockets fans have been watching him for a long time perhaps without knowing who exactly he was. He has been Clutch the Bear uh, since its inception. He actually created the character. Kind of a fascinating story of how you come up with a character, how you pitch it to a team, how you become that character. And now uh, the Rockets own it. The character will live on without him as he retires to you know uh, move into other marketing opportunities. So we had a, an interesting conversation with him about his history with the team. Uh, got a little bit into Turbo, if you guys remember Turbo. I'm not a big fan. Turbo kind of creeped me out as a kid, but uh, apparently a good friend of Robert's. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, just a fascinating interview with a fascinating bear. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. So without further ado, we have a packed show on deck. So it's time to sit back, relax be informed you're listening to the weekly brew we're here at mclean stadium with uh, coach jim grobe bailey university and coach grobe when you took over the program on may 30th uh, what was the mindset that you had coming into uh you know this this challenging task and uh, since the two and a half months that you've been on campus 
what has your reaction been, you know, not only with the student athletes, the assistant coaches, but uh, the administration and I guess the Baylor Nation as a whole? Well, you know, when I first got here, Austin, uh, Coach Taff had asked me to come and help. And as you come in, you know, you really want to coach football and do the things that football coaches do, but I wasn't able to do that. And so I came into a situation where, uh, you know, the, the press was pretty aggressive, a little more aggressive than I expected, to be honest with you. And uh, it was a volatile situation. And, uh, you know, I got with the players right away, but I could tell that they were skeptical. Uh, this happened so quick. Uh, after Art was let go, Coach Taft called me that night, and uh, by Monday I was I was here, and uh, so that that was that was a struggle for me because you know we're football coaches primarily, so I had to deal with a lot of issues issues that uh, I really didn't know a lot about, but uh, certainly were a problem. And then going forward, I got a chance to be with the players in winter workouts. Uh, they were cranking up every morning at 6.15, and so right away I started trying to learn players uh, and, and get to know them. And as we've gone through, I think uh, the, the uh, thing that our players have, have developed is a sense of trust. They realize that I'm here for them. I think our coaches understand that now. And so for the first two months, to be honest with you, wasn't a lot of fun. Uh, and for the last few days that we've been practicing, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm uh, proud of our coaches, proud of our players. As far as Baylor Nation's concerned, I got upset with the press. Uh, they kept talking about this culture of bad behavior, culture of wrongdoing. And uh, I really, uh, you know, upset a lot of people at the Big 12 meeting because I said, we don't have that culture at Baylor. Since I've been at Baylor, I've not seen any of that. All I've seen is great people. I uh, really like our players. We've got a lot of great kids that are doing community service. They're going on mission trips. They're doing a good job in the classroom. They're good football players. Uh, and so I've seen guys that are uh, above board uh, great kids. And uh, so that's what I've seen since I've been at Baylor. And it's great people from top to bottom. This is a great university and a lot of wonderful people here. Baylor obviously coming off a 10-3 and three season last year. A lot of talent returning, but as you mentioned, depth is kind of an issue with around 70 scholarship players. But overall, it's still a very, very talented team. What type of expectations do you have for this club moving into the 2016 season? Well, my expectations are really, really high. They have to be, and our players have to have high expectations. Uh, the, the issues that we worry about are typically things the players don't worry about. Uh, I think we've got, uh, you know, maybe seven or eight uh, guys up front on the offensive line that are capable of playing well and winning for us, and we may find a couple more as we go forward in practice. Uh, you know, we're a little bit thin up front on the defensive line. Uh, and, of course, at quarterback, if we keep Seth healthy, I think Zach Smith's a good backup. We've got a couple walk-on kids that have done some good things in, in practice. But I think overall, uh, we do have enough talent to win our schedule. We play a lot of good teams. So nothing's guaranteed, but this is a football team that can be good. Uh, we're not where we need to be right now, but we've got a lot of foot speed. We've got guys that are very athletic. Uh, we may be a little thin in the trenches, but I think overall, this is a team that can win. Probably about halfway through fall camp right now, gearing up toward that first game on September 2nd. Who has stood out for you, whether it's on the offensive side or the defensive side of the ball? Well, I think it, it's hard yet uh, because we've worked so many players uh, into the mix. Uh, I would say that, that probably my, my uh, biggest surprise is the kicking game right now. Uh, you know, I'd heard that Chris Callahan uh, had some problems with accuracy. 
I've not seen any of that. Uh, in fact, if he misses a field goal right now, it's unusual. It'll be a little different when there's pressure, when we're, we're doing it for real, I think, but hopefully not uh, to the point that it, it, he's off very much. If he continues, I think you know we're going to be able to kick field goals and, and uh, do, do some good things in, in the kick game. And then I've been uh, really, really impressed with our punting. You know, we're, we're punting the ball. Drew Gallitz is punting the ball really, really well. He's actually worked some on kickoffs. Uh, we've got a couple kickers, uh, Connor Martin and, and Drew Gallitz, that uh, I think can, can on kickoffs, if, if the conditions are right, we can get the ball out of the end zone. And that'd be nice if we didn't have to cover every kick. And so what we talked about earlier, uh, Austin, is we've got good foot speed and good athleticism on our football team. But in the kicking game, if you don't have a good kicker and a good punter, uh, you can really struggle. And so far, that's been probably the, the thing I've been happiest about is seeing uh, Chris Callahan and Drew Gallitz, uh, you know, kick and punt the football. That's kind of encouraging to hear. And, uh, you know, on either side of the ball, what does Baylor do schematically that overlaps most with the teams that you had at Wake Forest? Uh, I think uh, one of the things that, that I like about this football team as much as anything is our work ethic. And, uh, you know, I was, I was at Wake 13 years. I've been coaching 40 years. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that stands out about this football team is it's as hard a working football team as I've ever been a part of. And that includes 11 years at the Air Force Academy where we had overachiever guys that got up every morning and had to march to breakfast and do extra, uh, you know, PT, extra physical training type stuff. Uh, this team reminds me of all the best teams I've ever been on from a work ethic standpoint, from an attitude standpoint. Uh, when I tell people we've got really good kids, uh, you know, I'm not making that up. This is a, this is a football team that likes to work, uh, that wants to be good. Uh, I'm sure we've got uh, some weaknesses here and there that maybe won't even be exposed till we start playing the season. But right now, from a standpoint of hard work, this is one of the best I've been around. Now, I know you're a defensive guy. Uh, there's a lot of speed on defense, a lot of youth as well. What have you seen so far from the defense? And, and it's schematically, are you going to be able to do more in coverage situations than you perhaps could have at Wake Forest? I, I think, you know, at Wake Forest, uh, we had, uh, you know, on our best teams, uh, you know, that was a strength. Defense was a strength. And from my standpoint at, at Wake Forest, uh, we could put, uh, 11 guys out there and we could have some nickel and dime packages. We had enough talent in the secondary that we could put a couple extra guys on the field when we had to in passing situations, but we really didn't have a lot of depth. If anybody got dinged, you know, when we won the ACC championship, went to the Orange Bowl, we didn't have very many injuries and, and that, was, that was huge for us. Here, uh, the difference is we've got a lot of talented guys, but we've got a little bit of depth. And uh, uh, I think the, the key for us is do we have enough guys in the secondary that we can uh, substitute a lot of speed guys in passing situations? Absolutely we do. Uh, I think up front the key is going to be for us, can we rush the passer with three or four guys so that the secondary can do their job? Uh, typically uh, better secondary guys are guys that have good pressure up front so they don't have to cover forever. And that's going to be key for us going forward. I've seen some kids up front that really do a good job rushing the passer. I don't know that we'd feel comfortable right now uh, with any three guys or any four guys feeling like that it was a pretty good 
certainty that we're going to get pressure out of those guys, but I see us getting better. And I think that's going to be a real key for our secondary. I think we'll be talented in the secondary, but I think the key for our secondary guys is going to be, be able to put pressure up front without blitzing all the time. And I'm okay with blitzing. I'm okay with playing zero coverage and manning them up and going and getting them. But I don't think you want to make a living out of that all year long. You want to be able to have some three- and four-man rushes where you feel like you can get pressure without bringing the house. On the offensive side of the ball, a lot of people have said that you've essentially been given the keys to a Ferrari. Uh, you know, a very high-powered offense. Of course, you've got Seth Russell coming back after, uh, you know, missing uh, the last five games of the season last year. But uh, when I look at the team, there's five of your top seven receivers coming back. You've got J Johnny Jefferson. You've got Shaquelin Wood, two Doak Walker Award candidates. And then you go down even further, and you've got a guy like uh, Jermichael Hasty. So much talent on the offensive side from skill positions. What have you seen so far from the offensive side of the ball during practice or on film that excites you about this year? Well, we certainly in the scrimmage today did not look like a Ferrari uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, and we've got some guys that are out. Shock was graduating today, so he wasn't here. Uh, Johnny got his toe stepped on in practice, and he's missed the last two or three practices. Uh, so we, we only had a couple of our top running backs. But I feel really good about the running back position. I really think, uh, you know, that, that Seth uh, is, you know, going to be great for us. But, you know, I think he's a little rusty. You know, he missed those games at the end of the season, and then he missed some of spring practice, uh, you know, with, a, with an injury. So I think for him, uh, we've been going really, really hard. We've thrown a million balls. And uh, I think for Seth, uh, you know, we've got to keep him healthy. Absolutely, we can win with with Seth and, and of course the advantage for Seth is he can run and we got to pick our spots we got to be careful I got to get him to quit being hard-headed don't try to run over defenders you know try to make them miss you and get down when you need to uh, I like Zach Smith our backup quarterback he's he's young and inexperienced but he's got some talent so I feel good there but we need to keep Seth help, healthy he'll be the difference at receiver uh, same problem at receiver right now. Uh, Pooh Strickland didn't go today. He's got an injury, uh, and he should be fine. He should be back. Katie Cannon didn't go today. Uh, you know, he's been injured. Uh, we haven't gotten a lot of work out of Lynx Hawthorne. Uh, Lynx has had a little bit of tendonitis in his knee. Uh, and some of these things that we're talking about are not serious injuries. They're just we want to keep good players healthy, so we don't want to push them too hard right now because where we need them is in the season. Uh, but we were a little thin in the, in the receiving core when you take those three guys out. I've been really impressed with Chris Platt. I mean, that guy can run, and he catches the ball really, really well. Ish Zamora has done some really, really good things. Uh, I like our receiver core, and, uh, you know, our tight ends have done a nice job. Uh, we, we, I don't know how much, uh, you know, we'll use them right now, but uh, in the throw game, uh, they've actually done some good things catching the football. You know, they're big guys that, that block really well for us, but I've been kind of impressed with the way they go and catch the football. Our offensive line has been coached so well by, by Randy Clements. He does such a great job with those guys. And even though we're thin up front, and even though we lost four starters off last year's team, if you lose four starters, it's good to bring the center back. And right. Kyle Fuller's special. He's done a great job for us, great leader, great worker, great player. Uh, and the other guys that, uh, if you looked at those guys right now, uh, from my standpoint, if you didn't tell me we lost four starters up front last year, I wouldn't know it. I would think that we've got enough talent to block and be good up front. 
you know, we've got to continue to improve because we don't have a lot of experience up front. But I like the talent that we've got up front. So I will be the happiest guy in the world if, if we turn into a Ferrari, but we've got a little work to do. <laughs> Now, again, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, with Seth's health perhaps being a concern, is there going to be more emphasis this year on you know your stable of running backs and pounding the rock a little bit more? Well, I think that would be a smart thing to do, uh, but you've got to be capable of doing that. I think one of the things that helps your, your running game is, is when they know your quarterback can pull the ball out and go with it. Uh, if, if they're feeling like the quarterback won't run the football, now they can kind of mug you down inside, put more guys down tight, uh, and, and kind of get real physical between the tackles where I think, uh, uh, you know, with the ability of Seth to run, we're going to have to run him some. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that if we're able to just come off the football and be physical and get our running backs cranked up without using Seth a lot, uh, that would be huge for us because a big part, I think, of, of Baylor's success in the past uh, from what I've seen when I watched him play and from what KB and the offensive guys talk about, uh, it's one thing that people don't realize is they see the flashy throw game, but they don't realize how good the running game is. And, of course, a great example of that was North Carolina last year in the bowl game when Johnny Jefferson had the great day. Uh, but there's no, no doubt that uh, if, if we don't have to run Seth a lot and get great production out of our running backs, uh, it's going to take a lot of pressure off, off throwing the football. Well, Coach Grove, you've got a uh, fun September coming up with uh, Northwestern State SMU at Rice and the Big 12 opener against Oklahoma State here at McLean Stadium. And uh, I could just say on behalf of a lot of Baylor alums, uh, we're definitely glad to have you here. And actually, most people don't know, but you were hired on my birthday. So it was a great 29th oh, wow. birthday well, present. Well, but, well, I hope, Austin, you'll look back on that and say that was a good day. Well, we're looking forward to it this year. And uh, thanks again for your time and best of luck this season. Thank you, Austin. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew, we have Robert Bodwin, who uh, is one of the most beloved sports figures in Houston. Uh, you know, as a, as a non-athlete, as Clutch the Bear, you know, you don't really have the opportunity to let the fans down. So while we've been disappointed uh, you know, throughout the years with various different athletes, you know, certainly Clutch has always been there for us. And you are uh, you're retiring after 21 years as Clutch. Uh, what, uh, what, what led to the retirement decision, first of all, Robert? Well, my wife is about to have uh, twins. So uh, it's time for me to be a dad, and uh, that's uh, what I got to do right now. She, uh, we're about to have five kids, so uh, being a mascot is—it's uh, a, a weird job. You uh, work when everybody else doesn't work. You work when uh, people are having events, and that is at nights and weekends. And I just got to be at home. Uh, a little bit more uh, moving forward. And uh, also I'm 41, so, no, 42 as of two days ago. I'm sorry. Uh, so 42 years old, uh, there has to be a second act in my life, and uh, I think it's time for that to happen. So you originated the character, and I guess I was reading online that uh, one of only five professional mascots, three in the NBA, uh, remaining or left over who invented their character. And uh, I know that you're, you're kind of proud of that. What was the uh, the inspiration, I guess, for Clutch? And, you know, we talk about Cl who is Clutch? What is the character that you did uh, kind of create and invent? What are his key characteristics to in your mind? Clutch, in my mind, was always kind of an exaggeration of my personality, uh, which was... <laughs> Uh, it wasn't like some kind of like 
thought out thing, like, okay, who is clutch? Let's do this. Uh, I kind of just, it just kind of happened. Uh, I don't know. Over the years, I think I've thought about it, but it wasn't like on purpose. I think uh, clutch is mischievous, uh, fun loving, and um, electric. I guess is what 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 he was and what I intended him to be after a while. After you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I was 21 years old when I started doing this. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like okay. Uh, I, I went to college. I was a marketing and management major. And uh, then it was like, this is fun. Okay, let's do this. And uh, it just kind of happened. So I, I don't know that I was that intentional when I started. Certainly, I would have to say it's probably a successful application of what you learned, I guess, because Clutch is an immediately recognizable figure. You were elected to the Mascot Hall of Fame. You've been Mascot of the Year. Is it is it only twice you've been Mascot of the Year? Yeah. You've been robbed, man. You should be Mascot of the Year virtually every year, in my opinion. I can't <laughs> I can't imagine who's beating you for that. But Man, this is the greatest interview I've ever done. I, I, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are huge fans here. You know, mascots don't always... I will say, even before you came along as Clutch, I recall I have some sketchy memories of Turbo when I was a little bit younger. Uh, I think it was kind of like early teens, uh, who was like a... If people don't remember, some of our listeners are young. was like a creepy BDSM weird figure who did all kinds of... Um, distressing things to me, I think, certainly. So Clutch was a breath of fresh air. And you guys actually did overlap for a couple of years, right? We did. Uh, I love Turbo, for the record. Uh Turbo and the guy that played him, Jerry Burrell, is one of my good friends, uh, great friends still today. Um, We overlapped for eight years, and uh, I loved it. (laughs) I loved the way (laughs) you described it. Um, He, you know what? We worked together for eight years. He was the, the... gymnast he was the daredevil he was the uh superhero when i got to be the comedian and i loved working with him he was awesome uh i still you know uh call him regularly we call each other we rely on each other um yeah i mean he he was great i mean when i came to houston I remember everybody being like, get out of my way, Rockets Rat. Where's Turbo? <laughs> uh, it sucked when I first got here. He was so popular and still is. I mean, he's awesome. Uh, you know, and Rockets fans thought a, a mascot was uh, a guy that dunked and swung from the Raptors. And, uh, I don't know. I still think of a Rockets mascot that way. He, he, he's the best. Is there like a thriving community of mascot performers, particularly at this, you know, the highest level professional mascots? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have a conference every year. I should start getting used to saying, we had a conference every year. 
because uh, that's not my deal anymore. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, most people that are in the business uh, for more than a year or two talk to each other regularly. Uh, they work out skits together. They, uh, you know, if you do a skit in Utah on Wednesday night, you call Houston and then he does it on Friday night. Uh, it's a collaborative thing. We're not in competition with each other. We do these, you know, conferences and we elect uh, a different skit of the year and mascot of the year, but really we're working together, uh, you know, kind of trying to help each other out and say, hey, this is what I think will make your crowd laugh. So you have, I mean, 21 years is a, is a long time. You've seen a lot of Rockets basketball, and you've been there as much or more than almost anybody else. Do you have uh, memories that are particularly poignant to you or particularly powerful of sort of being there as part of the action? Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, most of my time is facing the crowd, not facing the court. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's... It's been my job to make people laugh and inspire people to cheer, uh, not watch the game. If I'm watching the game, I'm not doing the job. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's times that I've stopped and was just so astounded. Um, McGrady, 13 points. Uh, that was kind of like, just stop doing your job and watch what's happening um, to 22-game streak. Uh, that was kind of just, uh, this isn't about making people laugh. This is just about watching sports history. Um, yeah, I mean, truth be told, I'm not the biggest sports fan. Uh, it's not what I do with my free time. Uh, I love, you know, the movies, I love live theater, uh, you know, I, I kind of think I'm an entertainer, so that's what I do, um, with my free time, and my brother is a huge sports fan, and he loves to make fun of me about how he knows every stat, I mean, if you were talking to him right now, he'd be like, Blah, 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 blah. He'd be an ESPN analyst. And he'd be like, if you work in the NBA. But uh, I just like to make people laugh. What is next for you now? Because obviously, I mean, a long and successful career is a very recognizable icon. I think you're beloved by a lot of people, certainly by all the uh, hosts on this show. So what's the, what's the next step that you're taking? In this whole process, uh, I, I kind of figured out that I like uh, branding um, and marketing. Uh, that That's kind of what I did with Clutch. It was, you know, why is a teddy bear the Rockets mascot? And uh, that was kind of my journey. It was telling a story and then it was uh, doing school shows and it was doing websites and it was doing merchandising and it was doing uh, I don't know how to really describe it most people think it was 
oh, you're an entertainer. I was. But really, I always kind of thought of myself as a brand builder and uh, a marketer. And I was doing that by being a living, breathing billboard for the Rockets. And uh, that's kind of what a mascot is. Uh, so what's next for me is to help people look at their their brands and uh, their companies, their organizations, in a new light and say, hmm, okay, let's look at it in kind of a weird, <laughs> non-traditional way and also inspirational speaking. Uh, I love doing that. I, I started doing that about 10 years ago, and it's uh, it's fun. I just uh, enjoy being in front of a group of people and uh, kind of talking about being a 21-year-old kid and uh, crying my first New Year's Eve in Houston uh, because I was lonely and, and crying on my... Uh, on the phone to my parents and saying, I want to go back to the University of Delaware and this sucks and everybody loves Turbo and nobody loves me and, uh, you know, uh, it's been a journey. It's been uh, an experience and it's been, um, I think, uh, like, Perseverance is the one word I'd use that I want to kind of explain to people through stories. So this isn't necessarily within your purview, but I'm curious if you know, what uh, what is the plan for, for Clutch? Uh, do the Rockets own that? Is there going to be another Clutch? Do you have any information as far as what's going to happen next with the uh, with the Bear himself? Yeah, there's uh, the Rockets own Clutch. Uh, you know, I have no proprietary interest in Clutch. I've always been an employee of the Rockets, and uh, I believe it's their intention to keep Clutch as their mascot for as long as, I don't know, as the team exists. (laughs) So, uh, you know, game operations and marketing uh, are going to replace the person inside the costume, but the character that I created uh, will live on. Yeah, it will, it will not be the same, but certainly I think uh, I speak for a lot of people when I say that we're glad that that character will still be out there and something that you created will still be loved and enjoyed by lots of people, especially children. I mean, it's amazing how much children respond to to Clutch. But, uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, it's fascinating to hear a little bit of the story behind uh, Clutch and Robert Bodwin, obviously, uh, is Clutch the Bear and is joining us now. If you could, Robert, how do people, if they want to contact you in terms of uh, building their brand or getting your expertise on the uh, marketing side of things, how can they reach out to you and how can they contact you? Oh, jeez. You're the first person that's asked me that in any interview. I love that. Uh, <laughs> you guys should be uh, uh, on national TV. <laughs> yes, it's uh, robertbodwin.com. Uh, just my name. Uh, if you can't spell Robert, I, I, I don't know how to help you, but Bodwin is spelled B-O-U-D-W-I-N. And uh, I would love for people to visit my website and, uh, you know, have me out to their companies uh, to tell my story, to help their uh, employees and uh, customers connect because that's kind of been my job for 21 years.
And you've certainly been terrific at it, too. We definitely recommend that anybody looking for any sort of uh, advice in that uh, realm contacts you for sure. And, Robert, we absolutely appreciate you joining us and telling us a little bit more about the history of your character and what's next for you, man. Uh, take care. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Good luck with your podcast. I'll uh, be looking for you uh, on the airwaves nationally. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, man. It's been a delight. Closing time. And what you just heard was episode 56 of the Weekly Brew podcast. And uh, thanks to Jim Grobe from Baylor University for joining us on this week's podcast. And again, thanks to Heath Nielsen from uh, Baylor Sports Information Department for arranging the interview. And uh, I can just tell you from being up there in Waco and speaking with Coach Grobe on Saturday, it just instilled a lot of confidence in me and that uh, he has the program, you know, whether or not they win, you know, eight games, 10 games, 12 games this year, he has the program going in the right direction and, and doing things the right way. So that was very encouraging to hear and also as a, as a Baylor fan I'm excited that our special teams have been the uh, I guess the spotlight so far for the offseason because you know as Jeremy can attest you know it's been kind of a, a question mark uh, the past few years just focusing a lot on the offense maybe a little bit on the defense but uh, special teams have been disregarded and so it was very encouraging to hear that and also uh, to hear that you know that that Seth is coming along and just the leadership that he's providing was uh, very encouraging. Baylor special teams never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity so I'm very, very hard. It's, it's, I'm very, very glad to hear that Jim Grobe is focusing on special teams a little bit. Uh, Austin, I'm insanely jealous. Uh, you were able to go do that, but I'm glad that we got the interview for the podcast. Um, really great interview, and want to thank Jim Grobe and Baylor for um, letting us uh, on. And um, yeah, I'm just, uh, this episode has been great. I'm really looking forward to the last week of Olympics as well. And I regret that I was uh, I had to miss that as well. I was embroiled in a volleyball tournament, the Nike Katie Cypher Classic. Uh, shout out to Oak Ridge and Cy Falls, who played in the championship match. Cy Falls, one of my teams. Uh, Catherine Stevenson does a great job with their coaching those girls, and it's been a pleasure to watch them. But uh, I was tied up and could not make it to Waco. So thanks for handling that for us. Uh, obviously, we were busy, but uh, it is, uh, it's great to have uh, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And so in addition to Coach Grove, it was also fascinating to hear from Clutch and just the, uh, the man behind the mask. Yeah. And uh, also, the guy who created the character, which if you look at it, I mean, I could be biased here. Is there to you a better or funnier mascot in all of the NBA? Honestly, like, I don't follow the NBA that closely in terms of mascots. But when I look at the best mascot in all of sports, I have to go with Warbit. I mean, the characters, the skits that he does, especially pregame. But I think that's a little bit different with the sport. I think that there is so much going on in basketball that you really have to pay attention to the game. And there might not be opportunities except through like media timeouts for the mascot to do a performance. But Orbit, he's got, you know, an hour and a half during batting practice. He's got during the game, you know, in between innings, he can go and sit in the stands and do crazy things. Uh, so I think there's a little more flexibility in what you could do as a baseball mascot rather than sports, but or rather than basketball. But uh, Clutch, uh, he's a legend. Yeah, a real selling point for baseball is how little you have to pay attention to what's going on. It's true. <laughs> but uh, that just goes to show, I mean, you're talking about two Houston mascots. We do mascots right, and uh, and that character will live on. I mean, I think it's a, a de clearly defined character that somebody else can kind of step in and play, and I've always enjoyed watching Clutch. So uh, it was fascinating. Thank you, Robert, for coming on and telling us. And if you have some marketing needs, you know, obviously the guy's an expert, created the character, uh, reach out to him, and he'll help your business out. Regardless uh, who's the best mascot, he's certainly the most fascinating mascot, a fascinating bear, in fact, I think that was said earlier. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm uh, actually, I, I do remember in the history 
history of Houston mascots, I think that he is the much better alternative in looking between him and uh, what Turbo. Yeah. That guy, yeah, he's just a little intense with the mask. And the it seems like something you'd see in a New York BDSM club, honestly. Is with Turbo. Have you all. been to those? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that is very much like I, I go to all the New York BDSM clubs. That's you know, I two three times a year I'm traveling up there to just hit all the the BDSM spots. But uh, Turbo is definitely something you'd expect to see writhing around on the floor in chains in one of those clubs. Okay, we're going to cut that out. <laughs> I don't think we should. No, no, we should not. No. I don't think we should. I, th- I think this opens up a new demographic for us, the uh, New York BDSM patrons. What do you think? They deserve a shout-out, too. That's a very vibrant subculture and part of New York City, and we, uh, we're giving a shout-out to you guys. Keep doing what you do, man. Live your lives. And I know we're not broadcasting this live but uh, or with video, but if you could see my face right now, it's... Uh... A face of embarrassment. Yeah, I guess. face palm. Face palm is what they call that. I think in the in the kids' room. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to picture that. But uh, <laughs> in other news, uh, iTunes reviews. Kevin, do we have anything this week? We don't have anything this week, which is crushing to me. I can you? I wish the the listeners could see it on my face. I am guttered. Are you? Is that what they say? The British say something. It's hard to understand what their accent is. It gutted or guttered? I think gutted makes more sense. Gutted makes more sense, but I swear it could be like the thing with JFK when he says Cuba. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, whatever it is, I'm absolutely crushed. Were you with macaron? Yeah, well, that I pronounce flawlessly. I've been told that a number of times, but um, yeah. So no reviews this week. What's going on, guys? Uh, Shubes is the last guy to leave a review. Thank you again, Mike. But um, come on, so many of you listen. It's very simple. Just go online, leave a review. Go to iTunes.com uh, or not iTunes.com. Go to iTunes, the actual app. This is why it's confusing. Go to the app and search for our podcast name. You can do it on your mobile device which is where most of you listen we know that and uh, search for the podcast look it up go to the review tab leave us a five-star review with a nice little blurb and i'll tell you if you're looking to have some sort of impact on the show creative input we do take what people say there very seriously so it would be your opportunity to suggest a guest to us or maybe uh, a segment or or really to um, play puppet master in some way because we are dying for those reviews yeah absolutely and one of our first reviews is from a guy named john slavney he actually recommended that we provide more musical guests and that's something that we've definitely taken and heart we've had several great musical guests uh, on the weekly brew podcast and we'll have more coming up soon so uh, we just want to take that feedback seriously and we definitely do here at the weekly brew podcast but uh, guys i've really enjoyed this week's episode and if you've enjoyed the episode i want you to go online and also leave us a review and also follow us on our social media platforms weekly brewcast uh, you can search for that on facebook twitter instagram and youtube also follow our website at weeklybrewcast.com but uh, again thanks to jim grobe head coach at baylor university we wish the bears uh, a good Good luck on September 2nd against Northwestern Louisiana State and also throughout the rest of the season as they head into Big 12 play. Uh, we'll definitely be cheering for you. Obviously, Jeremy and I will as alums, uh, but uh, it was great to have him on and uh, great to speak with him for about 15 minutes. And also thanks to Clutch or the former Clutch for coming on. Robert, we definitely uh, appreciated that interview, but uh, we had a fun time this week and we hope you did as well. And for my co-hosts, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, Always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 